Uh, we're delighted you're here today. Uh, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, we just have two weeks left in our series in 1 Thessalonians. This week and next week we'll be finishing up the letter and uh, then we'll be moving into two weeks around Easter for Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. I hope you can be here uh, for Easter Sunday and Palm Sunday. It's going to be a special time just celebrating together and rejoicing together. And then we'll be moving into a series on the Ten Commandments following Easter. And so that will be a great time, I think, again, of refreshment uh, in regards to the Ten Commandments and uh, looking at those together and being challenged in that series. And so I hope you could stick with us and be here. Uh, we're going to focus this morning on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 22, but I want to read uh, back starting at verse 16 as we move forward this morning. So I'm sorry, verse 12 rather. Uh, so we'll start at verse 12 and then we'll read right through to verse 22 as we look at God's word together. So beginning 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Again, Paul is wrapping up, closing out his letter to the believers in Thessalonica, and as he closes this great letter, he is just firing off instruction in challenges for those that were following Christ here. And, and again, I think there's a lot that we can glean from these passages that we've been looking at in reminders of what should be true of our lives as followers of Christ. And so the same would be true this morning in verses 16 to 22 that we want to focus in on. And so really what I want to look at are eight challenges that Paul is going to give here as he's closing out his letter. We'll look at these eight challenges this morning. It's following the challenges we looked at last week that we just read in verses 12 through 16. He's just going to continue right along with his line of thinking in giving these challenges. So challenge number one, always rejoice. He says this in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Uh, this is an interesting statement because it's interesting when you consider who it is that Paul is writing to and who it is that is doing the writing. Paul was writing to believers in Christ who were all too familiar with persecution, with hardship, with affliction because of their stance in the gospel. If you remember earlier on in the letter, we looked at Paul said when they received God's word into their lives, they received it in much affliction. So from the very outset of their relationship with Christ, from the very beginning, they had received affliction and persecution and hardship because of their relationship with Christ. And, and that's who he's writing to here. And he tells them and he commands them to always rejoice. Rejoice always. It's also amazing to consider that it's Paul that is writing this because we know from Paul's life as a follower of Jesus, 
Paul suffered many things because of his relationship with Christ. He was put in prison, beaten and left for dead. He would ultimately die serving Christ. And and yet here he is as someone who modeled this idea of rejoicing always and now challenging these believers to rejoice always. Always, and it it would be so foreign to us present day to think of rejoicing always in all times and in all circumstances, and yet that's what he's calling on the believer to do. Always rejoice. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, this is one of Paul's prison epistles. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's writing it from a prison cell. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice. This is incredible. I mean, when you read this challenge, it sounds kind of simple initially, but when you think about what it actually means, it's, it's something far greater than just a casual rejoice. Uh, you know, have joy. Uh, give joy to others and rejoice in what's going on. But when you process this and think that what he's saying is no matter what happens or what's going on in our lives, we are to be rejoicing in the midst of all that is happening in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, as those that are sorrowful, he's speaking about following Christ and the sorrow that comes in this life. He says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, Paul recognized and and wanted the believer to recognize that our rejoicing as a follower of Jesus Christ is not based upon the circumstances of the here and now. It's not based upon the blessings or promises or successes that this life offers. It's not based upon the acceptance of man or the acceptance of culture. Our rejoicing has its foundation in Christ. Our rejoicing is in the hope that is to come. It's in the finished work of Jesus. It's in the reality of the acceptance we now have by God Almighty as his children. That is our cause, reason, and foundation of our rejoicing. If we're honest as believers, if we're honest, we we would probably have to say sometimes that joy that we should have in Christ, that rejoicing that should be present always in our lives, sometimes can be dampened, sometimes it can be covered up by the circumstances of life. Sometimes it, it can be easy and we can be guilty, all of us, of allowing the temporary to cloud out the eternal. Sometimes we can be guilty of allowing lesser things or things that ultimately shouldn't matter to interfere with what the main thing should be. We've probably all experienced that in our our walk with Christ. So often things that ultimately for eternity do not have value matter so much to us, even as followers of Christ in the world in which we find ourselves living, that it causes our joy in Christ to be robbed from our lives. And that's not what we're called to. We're called to always rejoice. Um, My wife Shoshana and I will celebrate 19 years of marriage here in June. And uh, I think back to almost 19 years ago to our wedding uh, day and the day before our wedding. And there was a lot of planning 
that went into that wedding. I didn't do much, any of the planning, um, but it, there was a lot of planning, and mostly done by my wife. And uh, I was one of those that I was just, as the, the groom-to-be, focused on getting married and didn't really care what kind of flowers we had and what kind of decorations there were and what kind of whatever there was. I didn't really care. All I wanted was to be married. And, uh, and so... Leading up to the wedding, there was a lot of time and effort and money invested into making this thing happen. And uh, I remember just uh, a day before our rehearsal, the night of the rehearsal, which was a Friday evening, that previous day, I got word from one of my groomsmen who was supposed to be there that he didn't know if he was going to be able to make the wedding. Now, to me, I wouldn't really care. I mean, as much as I liked the guy, it, I, it was, I was more concerned that the bride was there, not my groomsmen being there. So I wasn't really all that shook up about it. But what did shake me up a little bit was I thought, well, that's a problem because that would mean we'd have, uh, you know, we wouldn't have a balanced bridesmaid and groomsmen side. And to me, it wouldn't matter. To my wife-to-be, it would matter. And I knew that. And I'm like, I got to figure something out. So like, I was trying to think through what to do. And there was some stress there. And, and I didn't want to tell uh, Shoshana because I, I knew that she would be stressed about it. But I ended up telling her anyhow because I'd have a plan. Like, what are we going to do if he doesn't show up? And how we want to work this? And, and so this was going to be a problem. Well, thankfully, he ended up being able to come. And so that problem was alleviated. Well, then the wedding day came. And so during our wedding ceremony, we had multiple people participate in it. And, and what was going to be, I think, a short and sweet ceremony was, was not. And uh, one of the individuals that shared in it, it was my father-in-law, Shoshana's dad, who's a pastor. And, and um, I knew we were going to be there for a while when he began. And he said, well... I remember the day Shoshana was born, and I thought, oh, no, right, this is going to be a long remembrance of, of childhood things, which wouldn't really matter, wouldn't be that big of a deal, except for we had a unity candle and two side candles that my wife, fiance at the time, soon to be married, at our wedding day, were looking at these two side candles as they burned down closer and closer to like the ribbon that was tied around them. And literally, we were worried. If you ask Shoshana without any, she didn't even know I'm sharing this illustration today, ask her what we were worried about with the candles at the wedding. We were worried that we were going to burn the church down because we were worried that these things were going to catch on fire because of the, the bows that were around them and the candles were burning so low. And so it was stressful. I mean, we were the whole time trying to pay attention to what was going on, but we were both eyeing those candles. Well, we had a, a limousine that was going to take us from the church to our reception hall. And uh, during the wedding ceremony, which was quite long, um, the limo driver had left the keys in the ignition and the battery run on the limo. And so the limo was dead when we went uh, during pictures. And I walked out from the auditorium as they were finishing up in there and looked out in the uh, foyer area out the doors. And there was someone there with jumper cables jumping the limo. <laughs> for us to be able to get into the limo. And I was like, please don't let my wife see that. Like, because Shoshana is the kindest, nicest, um, sweetest woman. If you know her, you know that's how she is. But there was so much planning that went in this day that I didn't want there to be a stress factor for her and feeling like things didn't go the way they were supposed to go. And, and so she came out and she, she saw that and it wasn't that bad of a thing, but, but it wasn't something that we had planned on. Well, then we went to the reception hall, and um, we had 350 people for the reception. And I have a large Italian family, and Italian families, 
there is no, do we need to invite that cousin? No, they'll be okay if you don't invite them. If you don't invite them, you're dead to them for the rest of your life, right? So it was one of those things like, well, we'll invite everybody, but surely everybody won't come. And they all came. And so it was 350 was a guest list for this, for this reception. And so it was June 22nd when we were married. And so here we are towards the end of June, a very, very hot June 22nd. And we're packed into this reception hall. And again, pre-COVID, so we were just slammed in there like it used to be. And the air conditioning went at our reception hall. And so it was hot. I mean, it was hot. And I I look back on that and, and we look back on our wedding. We laugh about those things now we laugh about those things now but at the time there were so many things that happened in a way that we did not plan on or we did not want them to happen that we look back on it and think holy cow like what else could have gone wrong and it would be very easy to say man that ruined the day but it didn't because ultimately those things didn't really matter Why we were there was to be married, and we were, and we are. What happened that day had nothing to do with all of those peripheral things. The wedding went on. And here we are almost 19 years later, and in our bedroom we have a picture on the wall, a picture from our wedding day, and it's Shoshana and I standing next to a limousine, and I'm holding jumper cables, and she's holding her bouquet, like, what are you doing? And it's a funny picture that's up in our our bedroom that we have there remembering that day. Why? Because that didn't really matter. I share that because sometimes I think as believers, we can allow the things of this world that don't really matter to cloud and take away from what really does matter. See, our relationship with Christ the eternal destination that is ours through Jesus, that's accomplished and done. And sometimes everything around us that doesn't go the way we want it to can mar that, can cloud that. You need to know today that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, no matter who fails you, no matter who lets you down, No matter what happens in your life that you didn't plan on, God still reigns. He's still king. He's still in control. And he cares for you. He knows you. And you will spend eternity with him. Do you see why Paul, in the midst of hardship, affliction, Persecution, loss, could say, always rejoice, believer. I want to share with you today, believer in Christ, rejoice always. People will let us down. Life will let us down. God will not. So let our foundation for rejoicing be found in him. Our rejoicing is found in him. I think about Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, and we've alluded to this passage before where the disciples were uh, basically imprisoned because they were preaching Christ, and, and they had been commanded not to preach Christ, and they were beaten, and they were just, just pummeled because of their stance for the gospel, and they were beaten and commanded again not to preach about Christ. And in Acts chapter 5 verse 41, 
these group of believers left, and it says this about them. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Who does that? Who rejoices when they have opportunity to suffer? The believer in Christ is who? Have you ever seen a boxing match or a UFC fight where someone is hitting the other person and as they're hitting them, the person getting hit is saying, hit me again, hit me again. You ever see people do that? These people are crazy that do that, by the way. Uh, where they're like, do it again. And they're just getting pounded and they're like smiling, like keep doing it, keep doing it. Like I know that's kind of like a weird thing to think about, but in some ways, as a believer in Christ, as the hits keep coming in this world, the response and attitude of the believer in Christ is to rejoice because we know what's coming. We know what's next. Rejoice always. Secondly, he says, always pray. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Always pray. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, he says that we are to be constant in prayer. Earlier on in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Praying unceasingly, praying at all times. In Philippians chapter 4, he would tell us in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer, in everything, by prayer. There's a consistency to the command for the believer in Christ to be constantly in prayer with the Lord, communicating and listening to the Lord at all times. There's a consciousness to the constant relationship and leading of the Lord in our lives as believers and a constant cognizance of our dependence and reliance upon Him. There should be a constant cognizant uh, reliance of our dependence on Him. It should always be present. It should always be on our minds, always in our hearts, that we are relying and dependent upon the Lord, that we are in constant communication with God. A lot of people, when they think about be constant in prayer or pray unceasingly. They think, how can I do that? How, how can I constantly at all times and in all circumstances be on my knees, my head bowed, my eyes closed, praying to God? How do I, when would I eat? When would I sleep? When would I like work? When would I do anything? If he says, be constantly in prayer, how can I make that happen? Well, this is not a physical state as much as it is a spiritual state of constant communication with the Lord where we are always at all times readily aware of the presence of God, the spirit of God, the the very calling of God on our lives as believers and the absolute constant dependency of God in everything that we do, always at all times. We are in communication with the Lord, always constant in prayer. That means when I'm driving in the car and God lays someone on my heart or on my mind, I'm praying for them. That means as I go into a situation that I don't know how to handle, that as I'm walking through the door, I'm literally saying as I'm walking through the door, Lord, please give me the strength and the wisdom and the words to speak. Hey, how are you? I'm Bruce. 
It's one of those things that when I'm in line at the grocery store and you see someone that's in line in front of you that you know or that you prayed for, that you're in prayer to the Lord, say, Lord, give me the words to speak because that person needs encouragement. And, and when I'm home and I'm with my kids and I'm praying for my kids and praying that God would, would strengthen them and that they would know him. And when I'm anywhere that I'm at, that I have this constant communication and involvement with the things of God. And that's what God wants for you and for me. See, prayer isn't just in your room, by yourself, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. That's not all that prayer is. And there should be a constant state of prayer that we are constantly in communication with God. Why? Because we need Him every moment of every day. We need Him every minute of every day. We need Him. And prayer is dependence upon God. Prayer is reliance on Him. I think back to when I was in college, we used to, on Friday nights in particular, we used to play this game on the computer, it was called Tactical Ops. This is an old game, and it was a military-type game, and you would have teams uh, of people, and we would have, like, our whole floor of our dorm playing this against, like, the top floor of the, of the dorm, and so we would be in the suites, and we would have multiple rooms, and we would be yelling back and forth to each other about where everything was and what was going on and in communication with each other so that everybody knew what was going on at all times with what was happening in this game, and, and people do it today when they play online, they play Call of Duty, or they play other games, they have headsets, and they're talking to one another, and they're letting people know what's going on. In military or in police work, you know that, that there's a need and necessity for communication as far as what's happening and what's going on with whatever you're involved with. The same is true of our relationship and walk with God. Listen, we live in a fallen, sinful world. We live in a world that is described as being held captive by the devil to do his will. We live in a world that is lost without Christ and that embraces sin as it was true for you and I before we knew Christ. And so as we walk through this world, and we've been told to be constantly vigilant because our adversary wants to destroy us, as we walk through this world, we need to be constantly in communication and community with our God. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Pray always. Pray at all times. Pray in all circumstances. That's what God's desire for us is. To rejoice always to pray always. Number three, to always give thanks. He says in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This again is one of those things you're like, what? How? Like, how is that possible? How do I give thanks in all circumstances? How do I rejoice in all circumstances? How do I give thanks when tragedy strikes? How do I give thanks when something happens that I never would have thought would have happened? How do I give thanks to God when all that I seemingly believed is shaken to its core because of something that's happened that never would have been expected? Give thanks in all circumstances, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How? How? We can give thanks in all circumstances when we recognize that the one who is to be thanked is the Lord. We can give thanks in all circumstances because as it says in 1 Chronicles 16, the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. We can give thanks in all circumstances because we know our faithful God will be faithful again tomorrow to us. We can give thanks in all circumstances because although the things around us change, 
He does not. You and I have just as many reasons to give thanks to God today as we will tomorrow and as we did yesterday. He's always worthy of thanksgiving. Always. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever asked the question, hey, what's God's will for my life? Have you ever been in a position where you've thought, yeah, I really wish God would tell me what his will is for me? Here's a good starting point. Here's a good starting point. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Great starting point. What's the will of God for my life? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life right now, present day, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Right now, right here, today, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Be thankful. With thanksgiving, give thanks. Always give thanks. You know, from a very young age, we would try to teach our children to say thank you when someone does something for them or gives them something or is kind to them. And so there's this kind of time period when they're very young where someone would do that and we would, we would expect that they would say, okay, this is where you would say thank you. Say thank you, honey. We tell them that, the kids that. Then they get to a certain age where if someone does something or gives them something and it doesn't automatically come from them, we'll look at them and be like, what do you say? Right? Because it's expected that they know to say thank you because of something that was given to them or something kind done. And when they don't, they know that look and that tone of like, you better say thank you right now because that's expected, right? How many times do we walk through a given day where God has given and given and given and blessed and provided and cared for and shown up and we give nothing back. How many times in a given day are we on the receiving end of what God our Father gives to us as his children and there's nothing coming back. If it's our children, if you have kids or someone, you know, you'd be like, that is so rude. You know, you ungrateful little kid. Like, we would think that, what about our response to God? How can we not give thanks for what God has done? See, I think as believers, we're guilty. I'm guilty. I think we're all guilty of this that it is so easy to focus on what isn't happening how we want it to happen that we miss out on what God is doing. 
It's so easy to focus on something that we want to complain about that we miss all of the things that God has done and provided for us. If I challenge you today to go home and take out a piece of paper and start writing down every single thing that you could give thanks to God for today, I challenge you to do that. If we're honest, we will be writing for a very long time. I love it when my kids pray, in particular when my youngest daughter prays right now because she literally thanks God and prays about everything you can imagine. She'd be like, and God, thank you for the Batman toy that I have and thank you for the stuffed animal and thank you for, you know, mommy and daddy and thank you for candy and thank, and she just, like, whatever comes to mind, she's letting it loose, right? She's just going. Sometimes she's like thanking God for Captain Freeze and the Joker and, and all kinds of characters and just thanking people. And I kind of give the one eye to my wife and I'm like, when do we stop this or do we just let it go? And, and she just keeps going and keeps going. I think, man, oh, that we would have that kind of response to God for the things that God has done for us. We should, as believers in Christ, please don't miss this. We should, as believers in Christ, be the most rejoicing praying and thanksgiving people walking the face of this earth. Always give thanks. Number four, always walk in the spirit. We gotta, we gotta hurry here. Always walk in the spirit. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. There's this idea of suppressing what the spirit of God is doing and what he wants to do, of belittling the work of the spirit of God, of ignoring the spirit of God, of interfering with what the Spirit of God is doing, this idea of stomping it down rather than stoking it up. If you picture a a fire, you know the difference when you have a fire going, a campfire going. I was thinking about this the other day. I was driving down the road. It was just after dark last night, and there was this home that has this hill. Their backyard sits up on this hill, and it looked like they had a big stack of pallets is what it looked like, and this, this fire was just... I mean, it was lighting up the whole backyard. I could see it from the road, and I was like, that's a fire right there. And so we understand what it means to stoke something up. We understand what it means when we say, hey, throw gasoline on the fire, right? We know what that means. It means get that thing lit up, right? And so we get that. This would be the opposite of that when it comes to the working of the Spirit of God in our lives. As a believer in Christ, we should be doing everything that we should, that God has given us to do to cultivate the activity, authority, and presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. And he says here, don't quench it. That sometimes we can be guilty not only of not taking like gasoline, which you should never throw gasoline on the fire, right? PSA, don't do that. But we can be guilty of not only not throwing gasoline, as it relates to the working of the Spirit of God in our lives, but instead buckets of water on what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in our lives. Don't quench the Spirit, he says. Don't quench the Spirit. How can we quench the Spirit? Well, we can quench the Spirit, surely, by participating in sin. We can quench the Spirit, surely, by ignoring God's authoritative word. We can quench the spirit by gratifying the desires of the flesh. He says in Galatians 5, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In Ephesians 4, Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians 5.18, he said, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. The context there is in the same way that like wine, when you're drunk on it, completely controls you and you don't have any idea what you're doing. 
Let the Spirit control you and the things that you do and the things that you say. Always walk in the Spirit. Number five, which I think follows this, always obey the Word. He says in verse 20, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Don't despise prophecies. The word that's used here, that Greek word for despise, holds with it the idea of bringing something to naught. Or a, a verb, it's a strong verb, that means to despise someone or something as worthless or of having no value. Do not despise prophecies. Do not hold as worthless or of having no value the instruction that comes from God. Do not hold the instruction of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God as something that has no value. Do not disregard and reject with contempt the Word of God. Always obey the Word. We can be guilty of of not doing this. I can be guilty of not doing this. How many times have we been faced with something, a temptation, sin, a decision that has to be made, and we know what God would want us to do. And in our minds, we play this game of, God, I know what you would want me to do, but dot, dot, dot. We do that, don't we? Don't we play that game in our mind? God, I know what you want. I know what your word says, but I think, they think, we think, but... I really need, I really want, I gotta always obey the word. Always obey the word. Do not despise prophecies goes hand in hand with do not quench the spirit. If you want to quench the working of the spirit of God in your life, disregard and disobey what God says. Do not quench the spirit Always obey the word. Number six, always exercise wisdom. He says, don't despise prophecies, verse 21, but test everything. Exercise wisdom. As believers, we need to be sure of what we hold to from God's word. We need to exercise wisdom and discernment and test any teaching that is said to be from God. This is where I know a lot of people don't like to talk about doctrine But can I just tell you today, doctrine matters. Right doctrine matters. Correct theology matters. Having a correct understanding of what God's word says about every area of life matters. It matters. So we're called to test everything. Our litmus test is the word of God. Any teacher, no matter how charismatic, how popular, or how beloved, or how authoritative he or she may seem to be, any teacher who is teaching what is contrary or in opposition to what God's word teaches must be confronted and must not be listened to because they do not have greater authority than God. And this is, again, where where something that's so valuable and important that we always exercise wisdom. It is great to learn from and benefit from the authoritative and clear teaching of the word of God. But can I just challenge you with something this morning that we all need to be challenged on? Never let the means for our growth in Christ be the individual that's proclaiming what they're proclaiming. Let it be the word of God. Because any time that our church attendance 
Anytime that our identification with the body of Christ, anytime our obedience, our encouragement or joy for living for Jesus is wrapped up in an in, in individual, in that individual's teaching, rather than in the Lord and his word, we will falter. There's been a lot of prominent evangelical leaders over the last year that there's been things that have come out about them of moral failures, of things that were happening in their lives that no one knew about. People who have proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and taught with authority the word of God, that there was much fruit from the teaching of the word of God, that they have fallen. And as a result of that, there are many believers who are struggling today. And you might be one of them. That is struggling with, how do I know what to believe? That is struggling with, is my faith even real? That is struggling with, how do I continue in my relationship with Christ? How do I continue serving, growing, and honoring the Lord? How do I continue when even that person's failed? You see, the problem is, we are very guilty of allowing our faith, or lack thereof, our obedience, or lack thereof, our belief, or lack thereof, to be founded or based in human beings rather than in the Lord. Rather than in the authority of the Word of God. And listen, folks, people preaching the Word of God, I'm a messenger that's preaching the Word of God. The authority does not lie in me. It lies in the content of the Word of God. The power is not in Bruce Rosa's words or Butch Pursley's words or John Piper's words or John MacArthur's words or whoever's words you might follow. That's not where the authority is. The authority lies in God's Word. And so when someone fails, which they will, keep in mind that God has not and will not. When someone who has proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ in their ministry crumbles, understand the gospel has not faltered and will not falter. The gospel remains. People will fail. God does not. Messengers will cease, but the word will not. Because God's word is eternal. And we need to exercise wisdom and discernment in testing what we believe and why we believe it. Always exercise wisdom. Number seven, always hold to what is good. We have to to go really fast here. Always hold to what is good, and what goes right along with that is number eight, is always abstain from evil. So always hold to what is good, always abstain from evil. Look at the last verse that we're looking at here, verse 21-22. Test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Cling to, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. He says abstain from every form of evil. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't touch it. Don't dwell on it. Don't mess with it. Don't go around it. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from it. Cling to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. Eight challenges here, if I can summarize them. Rejoice. 
pray, give thanks, walk in the Spirit, obey the Word, exercise wisdom, hold to what is good, abstain from what is evil. If we do these things as the body of Christ, what an impact. What an impact that will have on the world around us for the glory and honor of our great God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this clear instruction from Paul and and these challenges, God. If we're honest, every one of us, we really need to take these challenges to heart and probably make some changes in making sure these things are happening. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence, the boldness, the wisdom that we need to live lives that are set apart from you. I pray for some in the room this morning, Lord. Some are here and, and they're hurting. They're finding it extremely difficult, and and I fully understand. They're finding it difficult, Lord, to obey when there's a temptation to sin. They're finding it difficult to rejoice always when the circumstances of life would seem to be anything but cause for rejoicing. Some, Lord, that are hurting and they're struggling with with obedience and and even what they believe because people they've looked up to that they've confided in have let them down or that they've trusted have let them down or that they've that they've propped up as as servants and as leaders have have fallen. And yet God, again and again, the, the statement rings true. Our God never fails. You have not failed. You will not fail. The gospel has not faltered. It never will. And so I pray that our confidence as believers would be in you and in your word because you are eternal, your word is eternal, and our life in Christ is eternal. Please help us to live in view of those truths. In Jesus' name, amen.